millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Over the summer of 69, uh, the summer of love, uh, discovered drugs and sex and rock and roll. And I decided that they were a much more interesting land to live in than New Lynn. 15-year-old Ella's family had moved from rural Northland to Auckland to ensure a good education and a better life for their youngest child. Ella wanted none of it. Not wanting to live with my parents, not wanting to live in West Auckland, not wanting to go to work at Crownland Potteries, which is where my mother worked, uh, and, and generally, I think, running away from who and what I felt I was at that time, which was a, a rural, isolated Māori girl in the city um, living in West Auckland in, you know, pretty impoverished circumstances. We almost feared the white world. You know, it was, it was strange and unusual and full of people that we had to be very respectful of. I don't even know why. I think I was probably rebelling against that kind of conditioning. Ella's rebellion found its focus in Auckland's Albert Park. The Sunday afternoon rock concerts, the Saturday um, uh, speeches and, and protests and marches. I mean, I was very fortunate to be at the very first uh, Women's Liberation um, gathering, I think it was 70 or 71, where I first met Ngāhuia um, Te Awakotuku. And uh, I was around uh, during the Sparrow Agnew protest, um, which turned into a bloodbath. So, you know, there was a lot going on around around that part of the city that was revelatory to me um, and to be introduced to it through an, a, a group of people who were like me trying to find out who we were and railing against the stereotypes that were presented to us. Ella's enthusiasm for rebellion dismayed her parents and eventually they put her in a home for girls. With a friend, she climbed the walls one night and escaped. Made it all the way into the city... I was, however, in the Allendale Girls' Home pyjamas and bare feet. We, we ended up in uh, what I now know was Grafton Cemetery. Slept the night, and the next day we encountered this man. And, um, and it was, I found out later it was Hemi, and he was engaged in his morning prayer. We looked up at him, and he looked at us, and we both looked equally shocked. And I think it was the fact that he made no judgment whatsoever, just the fact that he'd seen a couple of very young girls uh, in in the cemetery in the middle of the night and said, um, you fellas must be hungry. Want a kai? And we were, and we said yes, and we just followed him off. Hemi was New Zealand's most famous poet, James K. Baxter. By this stage of his life, the long-haired, barefooted and unkempt Baxter had renounced bourgeois life and was running a home for addicts, the poor and homeless in the Auckland suburb of Grafton, as well as a commune at Jerusalem near Whanganui. Ella had never heard of him. I didn't actually know for a long time that Hemi wasn't Māori, because to me he just kind of looked like a slightly scrofulous old Māori fellow with a, you know, a lot of hair, a lot of beard, bare feet. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess in retrospect he looked unkept. But if you came from the far north as I did, there were a lot of old people who wandered around with old jackets and bare feet, you know. So he, he kind of didn't look scary to me at all. And he had kind eyes and he always had, was ready to smile. And so I always felt really comfortable in his, in his company. And I never had any call 
cause to, for concern about the way he behaved towards me or the people I was around. I just remember this ball of energy. You know, we'd say, I've got to go to, I've got to go down to Wanganui. Who's coming? And, and so we'd all have to rustle up and find some money for petrol for the whatever vehicle anybody could fix or organise. And, um, and so it was a great adventure. Ella lived at both Grafton and Jerusalem and felt a kinship with the people she found there. In many ways, a lot of us were broken in different ways, quite different ways, but we all um, had this incredible sense of camaraderie and sharing a journey together, even if we wouldn't have articulated it quite that way. I think there was a kind of omnivorous quality to all of us, you know. Things would turn up and people would take it. Nobody so sat down and said, oh, I'm smoking marijuana, or, oh, what's that pill? You know, you, everything, every day was a, a new experience and every everything you encountered was visceral, whether it was alcohol or nicotine or food, new food I'd never tried. So I was not... I mean, I think back and I think, how did this happen? You know, was there a conscious state where I said, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that? And I, and I don't think it was. It was just a, a a part of this community of people that I was in who, uh, who in retrospect, had no rules. Um, but we, we all knew that we were not violent. You know, we were not people who wanted to harm each other. Um, I have no memories of cruel behaviour. So it was a very easy community to slide into and stay for a few years. You say that when you first met him you didn't know very much about him. Over time you came to know more. Hmm. Were you surprised to find that he was a poet? Did he write poetry around you? He didn't sit and write stuff but he would he would certainly speak in a very poetic way and I'm sure at times he was reciting poems. I knew he was an important man. I knew he had enormous charisma but I had no idea he was a famous poet. None of that was part of our relationship with him. He was just the kind of slightly crazy eccentric uncle that was a presence in my life for a couple of years. But the reality was I never felt ever in my dealings with him and him with anyone else that he judged us. And that was a very freeing relationship. It, it, there was an enormous amount of freedom in just being able to be exactly who you felt like being at that moment, so long as you you know, meant no harm to people. Um, you could pretty much do what you like. You know, you could wander around without clothes on. You could go down to the river and um, hallucinate. You could do anything because, and and that in many ways was a way of reaching our potential and not feeling that Hemi had any expectations of us. To find an adult, because I was still very young at that time, who who was interested in talking to me as a person, uh, as a as a fellow equally sentient being, was quite a new thing and I really enjoyed it and I think that helped me to expand my horizons and to and to want to look at different things and experience different things. But after nearly two years in the commune, Ella Henry felt the city calling. She decided to leave. Well, there's only so many cabbages you can eat in one lifetime. <laughs> we ended up having no food and had to do some scrub cutting for the farmer up the back, which I tell you is back-breaking work. And for that, we got paid in sacks of cabbages and potatoes and a sheep. I mean, I just needed to be somewhere else and away <laughs> from cabbages. And also because a fabulously gorgeous young man turned up with a car and said, well, I'm off to Wellington, so, you know, do you want to come? And I said, sure. In time, Ella's adventures went a bit wrong, 
and by late 1972 she was once more in the care of the state. I'd gotten into a bit of strife and uh, I'd ended up in uh, Oakley, uh, which was at that stage a place where when the country threw up its arms uh, would would you know send people with drug problems off to Oakley for uh, for medical attention. Hemi and a, a group of the whanau came to visit me. They bought the crystals and the music box and the flowers and um, the rose petals, which of course freaked the nurses and doctors out because they really didn't, I think, know what to do. Uh, all you could smell in the ward was patchouli for a while well after they left. And so they, <laughs> they obviously thought something insidious had happened and that I should probably get, you know, locked up somewhere because these people look kind of dangerous if they were my friends, which is unfortunate because um, I had to end up staying for another few weeks and it was in that time that that Hemi died and I wasn't, I wasn't able to get down to his tonguey, which I felt very sad about. On the 22nd of October 1972, James K. Baxter collapsed on an Auckland street and died soon after. He was 46 years old. Ella mourned him as a friend. Really, it was not until later that I found out the depth and the breadth of his work and his genius as a writer, as a poet, as a philosopher and a thinker. Um, I just knew um, a kind man who gave me a place to stay and opened my eyes to all sorts of interesting other things that were happening in the world. That year, Baxter had published a collection of poems called Autumn Testament. Ella is mentioned in one of them by name. I've seen them play the guitar around the bonfire out there on the grass, night after night, with a little beer and a few roast potatoes. But now the tribe is gone. Ella, Warwick, Abe... Red Steve, Moth, Belligerent Mike, and 50 others. When I meet them on the pavements, their heads hang down. The mask is back again, by which the town holds itself together. But here they needed no mask. Abe with one lung, deflated, would wheeze all night like a blowhole, behind a curtain in the top bunk. But I saw him with a shovel in the bottom of the pit. They dug for the shithouse, tossing earth to the sky his dark face wrinkled with the tribal smile. After a difficult period in her life, Ella Henry cleaned up and went on to work in film and television. She would eventually earn a doctorate in Māori development and now teaches at AUT University in Auckland. James K. Baxter is remembered as this country's best poet, as well as a fierce social critic and a pioneer in the field of drug and alcohol rehabilitation. He is buried at Jerusalem.